before we get started, I just want to remind everyone that this information discussed today is not intended to be or construed as investment advice. Please consult a professional advisor before putting a loony in any of these financial markets. The dirty secret is that no one's ever going to get paid back. People have the shortest memories when it comes to investment. We just got to get Keith into Bitcoin. Hey, there's a bubble. Welcome back to Looney Hour, episode 90. As always, joined by the three amigos. We've got uh, Keith Dicker of Cap Asset Management and Rich Diaz at Acorn Macro Consulting. Welcome back to the show, gentlemen. Keith, you got the snow globe, the new mic. Yeah, I know. My other microphone broke when I was, when I was traveling. So I don't know what this... Rich said this one looks like the uh, one of the robots in Star Wars. Is that what you called it? A robot? No, it looks like the eye from the trash can monster in episode five, Empire Strikes Back. Remember? No, no, no. It was the first one. Uh, a New Hope. Anyways, it looks like the, the eye from the trash can monster. Come on, Pete. Come on. Really? You guys have never seen no, Star Wars? I'm not a big Star Wars guy. Nerd. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm more of a uh, Star Trek guy. Oh, but, no. Uh, this is a terrible call. Anyways, that's what it looks like. The eye from the from that monster. It's an intellectual Rich. conversation. Oh, speaking of which, I had an intellectual moment yesterday morning. So like, you know, I think you guys know, like I live, I live near a couple universities. I go to one to get a coffee in the morning. And when you're on campus, you know, you expect to have these, you know, deep philosophical thoughts, innovation, creativity is flowing and all that stuff. It just feels, I, lo I love campus. So I'm walking, um, through yesterday morning with with my coffee and I, I see this guy standing there a, a bit confused in this sort of smallest parking lot and I said good morning I say good morning to everyone and he said uh I need your help I'm like yeah what, what's wrong he said I, I can't find my car <laughs> so I looked at him I said dude where's my car and he, he didn't laugh, of course. He didn't get it, eh? A bit younger. Grown. Anyway, this this guy this this guy is visiting um, for a uh, he's coaching a touch football tournament here down at for his team. They're down from from Quebec. And uh, I said, "What happened?" He said, "Well, I came yesterday. I parked my car, and I, you know, we went out last night, and now I can't find my car. I don't remember where where he parked." <laughs> <laughs> so we go through all the scenarios. I walk around with him for a bit. And finally, I said, are you sure it was St. Mary's University? And he said, this is St. Mary's? I said, yeah. He said, oh, I think it's at the other university. I said, Dalhousie. He said, yeah, that's the one. I said, 10 oh blocks goodness. that way. Oh, man. Yeah. Did you get the lemon loaf? Mrs. Icecap said I had to knock off the lemon loaves for a while. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. Straight to the hips. Yeah, that happens. Rich, what's new, man? Oh, man, I've, I don't have a story that can even come close to that. Uh, nothing's new. Just enjoying um, having my intellectual property ripped off by people on Twitter and trying very hard not to be petty about that. <laughs> He's been talking about it all week. Um, so it's best we just move along. And I don't I don't say anything that I'll regret. But uh, if you do take someone's chart on Twitter, the nice thing to do is give them a shout out is all I would say. Man, let's carry on. It's the uh, best, best. This is the best week, though. This is my favorite yeah. week of the year. Is July it? July 1, Canada today. But most importantly, oh, yeah. Yeah. free agent, free agent uh, frenzy. 
That's right. Oh, and can I mean the Montreal Canadiens picked the right shot defenseman, which was the most boring pick ever. We should have picked the Russian Mishkov. I, I you know, I'm I'm pretty pissed off about that too. I'm 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 all I'm riled up today. And uh, the Avalanche fleeced your Canadians uh, trading Alex Newhook there too. No, I was I was so I was reading an article about this, and if you pick in the late in the 30s, I think you have a one in three chance of even making the NHL, let alone becoming a star. So. I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, so Anyways. that's uh yeah, looking, that's looking, looking forward to that. I'll be slugging back some beers on July 1st. Um like a good Canadian boy, but um um what else has got going on Keith? We got a huge announcement today before we get into this week's show. So everyone's been asking with the live event <clears throat> July 27th in Vancouver at the Hollywood Theater in Kitsilano. And uh, there'll be a 300-seat venue, drinks, appetizers, live podcast, Q&A. You know, come ask us whatever you want. Shake some hands, kiss some babies. It's going to be a great time. Uh, July 27th. So the tickets, if you're listening to this episode, the tickets are officially available on our Eventbrite page. Uh, there should be a link in the show notes here. So like I said, click those, click the link. I think we sold out Toronto last year in what, seven, seven days or something like that. So seven minutes <laughs> <laughs> trying to set a new record for this one. It's, uh, it's almost double the capacity, 300 seats. Um, but uh, like I said, tickets are available 49 99 but uh, I mean, really a priceless event. So that's uh, that's what that's what we got. I think though, instead of kissing babies, if everyone, you have an opportunity to kiss rich. He's no. in that market. No, no. You have to ask for consent, please, everybody. <laughs> Very important. <laughs> Can you just picture everyone rushing over to give rich a kiss? No, I can't picture that. Well, I can. Be good. So, uh, yeah, but I mean, yeah, quite a bit uh, this week on the housing front. We had Canada's CPI inflation, population growth. We had the Fed out, the ECB. Uh, it's more ESG stuff, so we can get Rich teed up on that. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, speaking of the housing market here, front and center, uh, we're now entering, obviously, again, Canada Day long weekend. We're noticing the housing market slowing down. Uh, not just from a seasonal perspective, but I think there's a little bit more to this as as these rate hikes resume and, and as yields push higher once again. I'm uh, definitely noticing a, a a pull a more of a pullback. So I think it's going to be a very quiet summer for those in the real estate sector, and uh, you know that'll be interesting because once we you know we'll get into it later on in the show, but once you start overlaying you know the the housing and and the housing starts slow down with the population growth, I think it does create sort of an interesting outlook you know over the next five years. But um, Keith and I, you were you were we were chatting off offline here. Um, Part of the reason for this slowdown, you know, is every Canadian that's been buying a house like this year. The, so again, people that need to want to transact, it's been the, the the bulk of the transactions this year. It hasn't really been like these investors like it was during the pandemic. It's been people that need to transact. And so everyone has been tra transacting using like that three-year fixed mortgage rate. Because basically nobody's wanted to lock in for five years, right? Like, well, you know, rates are five percent. That seems that's the highest in like almost two decades. Why would I want to lock in that rate for five years? So everyone's been like sort of taking the lesser evil, which has been the three year. It gives you enough certainty to sort of get through this this pain, these higher rates. 
and uh, you know your so your three rate your three year fixed rate um, for most of this spring was kind of four point seven, you know, four point eight. And so, you know, it was stomachable. It was obviously high, but people are like, you oh, know, okay, four, eight for the next three years. Well, over the last like three weeks, we've seen those rates. Now your best, like your three-year rate today is about 5.8. So we've seen a hundred basis point move in that most popular mortgage product for this year. Um, so. are- are the are you, are you getting? I mean, you're on the ground, obviously. I mean, when you do you speak to mortgage brokers, and do they say that people are starting to, to to push back on that? I know that there's like sort of that broader level like number that we see on the Bloomberg, but do, are you seeing sort of anecdotal anecdotal evidence as far as mortgage brokers saying, "Listen, we, people are just like not interested, or they they can't do what they uh, want to do"? Or yeah, I'd say almost every broker that I've talked to is telling me right now that their pipeline, like for, for new applications has slowed significantly. And again, I'm not sure how much of that is like seasonal as you head into the summer months, it's always how it plays out. And so I think it's like, it's, it's, it's a little bit hard to read into, but I do think that my personal opinion is I think it's going to, it's, I think it's like I said, it's going to be a quieter summer. I think it's a combination, not only of a seasonal factor, but of like, you know, a hundred basis point move, when you factor in that the reality is that home prices for this calendar year have moved higher. I mean, in Vancouver, like I said, you know, your typical single family house is up 200 to $300,000 this year. And your rate just moved up to 5.8. So Steve, on a, let's just say, uh, you know, you're in Kitsilano and you're getting a million dollar mortgage. What what's the change? And just say you're you have to renew now, and now it's at you know one a full one percent higher than you thought it was going to be a month ago or two months ago. But what is the dollar approximate value increase? You know, say a monthly. I know it's a lot of factors involved with it, but See. is it like an extra two hundred bucks, a hundred bucks? Okay, how's cool. it affected? So if you're see if you had a, if you had a million dollar mortgage and let's say the rate was going to be four point eight percent on a thirty year amortization, which is what most people are doing, your monthly mortgage payment is forty two hundred dollars, and today at five point eight, it's fifty eight hundred, so six hundred dollar difference. It's not as high no. as I would have expected. Sixteen. Wait, no, you said forty two. Wait, no, you just said forty two hundred and then fifty eight hundred. Oh God, man! Let me do this again. <laughs> fifty-two hundred. This before <laughs> no, it's fifty-two hundred to fifty-eight hundred. So it's six hundred. Oh, okay. I may, yeah, maybe I, I just heard that wrong. Um, it's that snow so globe getting in the way. <laughs> it could yeah, be. So, I mean, but I mean, six hundred dollars. I mean, again, like you know, you factor in that that rate. You know, at four eight, let's say. You know, I mean, gosh, it's, it's probably averaged over the last five years. It's probably averaged. 2.8 but remember is- it's not just one thing right it, it's 600 but it's also the cost of all of your goods and services have gone up let's say 30 percent over the last two or three years and we know that wage growth in canada is lagging significantly um i mean depending obviously what industry you're in but you know wage growth has been two percent over the, those so you know in real terms which is what matters um, consumers are significantly worse off and we're starting to see it. I, I mean, it's, and, and I think we're starting to see it, although consumer confidence weirdly is perking up, but Keith, I mean, do, do you, do you see it from your clients or are people starting to say, Hey, can we 
draw down on some of our savings or some of the, the money we have sort of that's parked good. away with yeah, you? That's or? a good question. No, we're not seeing that activity. Um, that that That's not happening. You don't let them? You're like, for- Odie? <laughs> Do you hear about that? <laughs> the gates are you hear about that big, the, the gates are Odie, by the way, for people who don't know, Odie is an enormous hedge fund out of UK, I believe. And oh, yeah, yeah. Something untoward with their CEO and they gated the, the anyways. Yeah. But no, you're, you're not seeing that. No, we're not, we're not seeing it. But, but at the same time, though, I think everyone is altering their, their spending patterns, definitely. And like, you know, Pricing is just outrageous on so many things right now. Now, obviously, it's like three years into it, but our compensation has increased enough to offset it. So take anything that you're buying at the grocery store. Like Again, it's like it's whap. Like that, that's, that's a big hit. And, you know, you, you see it other ways. If you do, you know, I was just traveling last week and, you know, some places like, okay, that's reasonable. And then you, you leave, you know, it's like, wow, that's like 80 bucks for two burgers. You know, they're just, Yikes. yeah, like it's, it's a lot of money. And I, I don't mean to say that in terms of, oh, wow, I eat $80 burgers, but, <laughs> <laughs> but when, when you're traveling, you know, you that's when you're spending money every day, like it's coming out of your savings, of course. And then you realize, wow, like, and then, and then you would say, are you going to travel again? Like, how often can you do this? And I, I just think right now, you know, I was chatting with a friend earlier today in the business. And, uh, you know, we're because, you know, we will talk a lot of things now today. But, you know, the, the, the ECB, the European Central Bank, they hosted a uh, an event yesterday. So they invited the, the, this is great, guys. So they invited the top four central bankers in the world, or the top three plus Christine Lagarde, whichever way you want to look at it. <laughs> So they had, uh, you know, Powell was there, you know, from the Americans. Uh, the British guy was there as well. And, you know, Tiff, Rick- and Tiff was there, of course, right? Yeah. No, he's, no, he's Tiff not one of the top there. four. Okay. He, he didn't get invited, but the Japanese guy was there. And he had the, he had the money quote of, of the day, which is quite interesting. So to let you know what that was, they're talking about the, uh, the, the lag effect of hike rates, of, of rate hikes. So because Paul was saying, you know, we, we're starting to see inflation come down and we think it will continue to come down because we're, you know, we increased by 500, 500 basis points in a very short time. And because the lag effect, we expected to come in now. Then they switched over to the Japanese guy and they said, well, what do you think about the lag effect? And he said, well, we raised rates by 25 basis points 30 years ago, and we're still waiting for that to kick in. Come on. He didn't say that. Did he actually he, say that? Yeah, he did. <laughs> It was actually quite funny. He was funny. He didn't say a lot because it was a bit of the language barrier, I, I think. But he said that with a deadpan face. And I said, man, you win. Like the, everyone watching this live, you know, everyone's tweeting about it. And everyone's saying, wow, what a brave quote. This guy's anyway, throwing out one-liners, eh? He was really good. Yeah. So Maybe you should uh, get him on the show. That'd be awesome. Yeah, it would. <laughs> Yeah, we might need to carry the conversation a bit, but it was pretty good. Uh, but back to this whole conversation about, you know, I, you know, everything is is linked together here right now so with rates going up and stuff like that. But uh, and back to a conversation I had earlier, I might be jumping around a bit, but, you know, there there she goes. Um, so right now in, in markets, you know, we the yield curve is telling us there's a recession coming commodity markets are telling us there's a recession coming with oil and that gas you know coming down you know quite a bit um and then you have the central bankers yesterday the four main ones they all said yeah we're going to create a recession that's what we need to happen and then yet yeah, you have uh then you have on the 
currency side, we don't see too much in Canada, but the, the US dollar is just smoking all these Asian currencies. Like in, in Asia is one of the key exporting Asia, uh, regions in the world. But then we have, you know, equity markets are going higher and credit spreads haven't, you know, widened out yet or blown out yet. So, uh, you know, something is going to get reconciled in that, you know, maybe all these recessionary uh, data points get completely turned around and or we go with the other direction. And again, like if we do get a recession, if it's if it's coming up, you know, and people are struggling to pay 5,800 bucks a month, you know, on, on their kids' Lano mortgage, um, you know, some guys won't be able to pay the mortgage and that's what will happen. I don't think Kitsilano's where you're gonna see your first uh ounce of pain though. I'm not gonna gonna be blunt. I think it's gonna be out in the suburbs somewhere. Um, you know, I look at you know, because people I mean to, to that point though, people actually do ask, oh, you know, okay, if there's gonna be opportunities, like where are they gonna be? When should I buy? When when the big correction is gonna happen? I'm like, listen, like yeah, West Side detached real estate, predominant owners have owned it for 30 years. A lot of it has no debt. You're competing with global wealth that again is maybe not even taking on a mortgage where I think you see that pain is in these blue collar working classes where you're on a fixed income, right? Like you're making 65,000 bucks a year and like you might get a raise to 67 or 68. Like there's, there's not a lot of room to move. And that's uh, a lot in those suburban markets where, you know, if your mortgage payment moves up by $800 a month, then you tack on your grocery bill going up another couple hundred bucks. Like that's where I think you see the the, the real pain and then people that are going to be forced to make difficult decisions is, is in those sort of more fringe markets. So I have a question about this. So in the UK, this is sort of happening, I think just a little bit ahead of time and maybe the UK can act as sort of a proxy for Canadians. Again, just to remind everybody in the UK, like in Canada, the mortgage rates are tied to the front end of the curve. So two-year fix, three-year fix, whatever. And we're seeing obviously a huge, huge increase in those mortgage, uh, those interest rates. So that translates to higher mortgage rates. And the government, the conservative government is already talking about, I mean, there's discussions basically about, you know, uh, enacting protections for uh, mortgage holders, for people, homeowners. Um, do you think that that kind of thing is on the horizon for Canada if it really does get mean you know and, and, or like the waters do get really choppy or, or do, do you think is it is it a different legal structure or well I, you know, so i'm curious i'm curious keith's thoughts because i know the audience is like oh this guy's a realtor so of course he's you know of course he's saying that but like my my view is like krista freeland in the federal budget literally wrote banks she wrote basically legislation that suggested that banks will work to help canadians through these difficult times in terms of like their variable mortgages and helping them so we are seeing that on a case-by-case -case basis banks are going back to clients and saying okay technically you're supposed to go through a requalification to refinance but you know you've claimed hardship okay don't worry about that we'll sort of adjust your payments to make it work at the end of the day you know the banks the banks don't really want to own your house um, it is their asset. And so I think they are working with Canadians right now. Um, now, again, my view is, you know, rates are 5.8 today. Yeah. If they get up to 6.8, 7.8, God forbid, I definitely think like, give it time. We're going to see obviously default and they're going to escalate. That's simple math. That's a highly indebted household sector. And I think that given the amount of economic activity, that is generated off of housing in this country. Like the reality is, is, and we can go through the numbers is like we immigrate people on mass 
and we supply them or sell them housing. Like that's that's or the dream of housing anyway. <laughs> right. That's that's but that's basically what it is. I'm not saying that's the right thing to do. Are there are there any charts on the population growth floating around out there? No. <laughs> As a matter of fact, really I'm sharing. <laughs> Uh, what, um, it's a low blow, Keith. It's a low blow, Keith. <laughs> yeah, but not to you. It's to the guy that ripped off your chart. Okay. Anyway. By the way, everyone is listening. Get him. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't do that. Keith, what are your thoughts? Like, actually, like, I'm genuinely curious. I'm like, you know, it's like, again, let's just assume that rates start five eight today. Maybe they go to six and a half, and they stay there for the next three years, and you get everybody renewing it. That was at. 2% is now renewing at six and a half. You get all these defaults. Um, how do you, wh what's your opinion? Well, the number of scenarios, I mean, first of all, if there is no recession and we just sort of, you know, muddle along here and everything, you know, we, you know, households adjust, banks will adjust what they're doing and companies and government spending will, will adjust. I mean, that, that will happen. But the concern, I mean, we talk about mortgage rates, everyone's thinking with the Bank of Canada all the time. The real risk with mortgage rates right now is that we do get a recession. And then that three, five year and, and longer mortgage rate just skyrockets. You think that, so really even, that's a thing possibility for you? Interesting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because even though the yield curve might stay inverted, you know, for the government, but, but the spread that the banks are going to want to lend at is oh. going to widen. Because if you're, you know, if you're, you know, the bank of rich or the bank of Steve, and uh, you were sitting there and all of a sudden recession is coming and you guys would see it before anyone else, because, you know, you're, you're living it day to day, you see all the money flowing through the system, you know, and then I walk along and say, Hey, you know, I want, I want a mortgage, say 500 grand. And they look at what my job is, you know, I'm a podcaster, so I don't make much money. <laughs> and, uh, but you guys are going to say, well, okay, we'll, we'll lend it to this guy, but you know, it, it's no longer at that 5%. It's, it's now up to seven and a half percent. So you can get a period where, again, we're not there yet. Okay. But the probability of it happening, I think it's a lot higher than what people are expecting. So, and, and this is going to reverberate in so many places. Um, so I'm just getting started. And, um, <laughs> but so just say, you know, you, you don't lose your job, you're, you're still doing okay. And your mortgage renewal comes up because say you refinanced in, you know, 2020 or 21 or 22, whatever it was. And all of a sudden, you know, that the rate that's being offered to you is say six and a half or, or 7%. I mean, and you're able to pay it, but then that's less money you have available then for other spending. Do you know what I mean? So that that's that's the environment, Steve, that as an investment manager that we're really focused on, because then you get all these other knock-on effects from it happening. So well, yeah, it's I mean, the, the, incredibly the, interesting. Yeah. I'm just getting people to refocus. Don't always watch the central banks because you know they're important, of course, and you know they're the fun to listen to sometimes. But it, it's really these like three, five. I know, see, you're really pointing out, I think, the two, three, and five year all the time, which, which is where you need to focus on. And that has the potential to explode. Yeah, I'm curious. I mean, like, obviously, just for the for the listeners, I know you're assigning like a probability to it. Um, but, you know, typically, again, in recessions, if you've got your five-year bond yield, typically recession, that bond yield's going to fall. Thus, typically, in a normal cycle, you'd see, obviously, lower rates, banks passing that on. But in, in this circumstance, are you suggesting that 
the five-year bond yield would actually push higher. And that's just markets assigning almost like a credit risk to the country. So not the five-year bond yield, the five-year mortgage rate, you know, because you get a spread. So you're telling me, yeah. So what you're saying is, okay, your five-year bond yield, whatever it is today, three, seven or something, it comes back down, let's say 100, 100 plus basis points, but mortgage rates, you know, stay at the same levels or potentially even right. go higher. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. remember, Canadian banks as well, the, the amount of, uh, you know, loan loss, provision for loan losses or credit losses, whatever they want to call it these days, uh, that's really low relative to the, the size of their, their loan books. So they're, they're, I mean, banks don't like to lose money. They're not in the business of losing money. They are in the business of understanding that that's their business. So they are going to lose some money. I'm starting to sound like Rumfield, right? From years ago with <laughs> the Iraq, stupid comment. Um, so they don't mind small losses. That's what they would account for. But as soon as they can see um, a cycle starting to begin, well, they're way behind the curve, you know, that they will batten on the hatches. And one thing that they will, that they will be very careful of how much they're lending and then who they're lending. Because even, even though they're lending out new money, which they might be comfortable with that, their current book, they might have a lot of like dead money on the books there. And um, so it, it's like, if you're a it commercial be a bank pretty, right now, you're, you're worried about it. You have to be worried. But it has to be a pretty severe scenario. I mean, like didn't even ha- that didn't happen here in 0809 in Canada. I mean, obviously it happened in most parts. No, it didn't. Sorry, I'm interjecting here, but that's important. That's a really good distinction. Number one, you didn't have the the valuations weren't as crazy as they are now. And the debt to GDP ratios were not as crazy as they were now. Um, and I would argue that the banks are probably were probably better capitalized than they were now and the exposures and et cetera, et cetera. Um, the other thing is like, but then 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 the other thing is like the the top that not only even if mortgage rates, let's say just for argument's sake, come down slightly, it's not clear that the banks, as as Keith points out, they don't want to lose money. Those tight those lending conditions might ratchet higher. So even though let's say the mortgage rate come down, I, I mean maybe you'll correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, but the mortgage those banks may not they'll reduce their aggregate loan book from the top, you know, they'll say, okay, we'll only expand by 5% instead of 15 or 20%. And you can see the credit growth in the whole space is is coming way down. I mean, you've talked about this before, where the mortgage lending is, you know, down to its lowest level in however many years. I mean, that's just tap. I mean, that's true, um, just of the entire mortgage book full stop. So it, it might not be the, you know, that's the problem with a lot of these, these issues is that pro cyclical as things get worse, banks don't move to alleviate the pain they actually exacerbate the pain with tighter credit conditions and higher mortgage spreads well i can tell you the spreads are definitely padded right now and we kind of saw that in the in the most recent you know we've seen it all this year right which is like at one point bond yields had, had fallen quite precipitously and uh, most major banks were actually very, very slow and reluctant to reduce uh, mortgage rates. We saw td one bank basically sort of lead the charge and now as we've seen bond yields push higher. The banks have been very, very aggressive to, to adjust mortgage rates very, very quickly. So they were very, very slow to reduce their mortgage rates on the way down as bond yields fell. But as soon as they pushed higher, the banks were almost immediately raising uh, their fixed rate mortgage costs. Yeah. So they're playing with the spread. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, can it's I interesting. A, yeah. Can I ask a question? Just a really quick one. In the US, you have something called a recourse mortgage and a non-recourse mortgage and some states 
you have a non-recourse loan or mortgage and you can like just drop the keys off in the mailbox. I, I read loads and loads of stories about this in 2008, 9, 10, 11. And people like in Las Vegas, they'd own, you know, it was a gully, whatever. But they, anyway, so they 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 didn't they couldn't afford mortgage payments. Um, and they just drop the keys in the mailbox. Is that a thing? In, and not all states are the same in the United States. No, it's, 50 states, it's all, yeah, it's all, it's all recourse. I think other than like okay. Alberta, maybe. Um, so again, not investment it's advice. All, <laughs> I don't want people to just drop the keys in, the, in their mailbox and run away. I was just curious. Sorry. No, it is all, it all, it is all recourse, but to that point, can you explain what that actually, means? What's that? Can you explain what that means? Just what it basically means, means they can come after you for you can't okay. just leave your keys. They can come after you for you know they go take your car or whatever they need to do. Okay. Um. Okay. So, but I think there was actually a good study in the U.S. that actually showed the largest home value declines was actually in full recourse states. Okay. So non-recourse states, yes, they had corrections, but I think it was actually if you look at the data, it was full recourse states that actually had sharper price decline interesting interesting which is kind of cool flies in the face of what you would imagine yeah that's 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 counterintuitive for sure counterintuitive the other thing that i I think we all need to think about you know besides the uh you know the pandemic you know canada hasn't really experienced recession now for a long time so i think i don't think people will know what it no sorry uh when it eventually happens because it will we don't live in this you know horizontal fantasy land um but i think a lot of people the, the reaction to it is going to be the, their first initial experience with, with a true recession because you got to go back a long time in canada to really say oh wow we just experienced this this is difficult i know 2015 was really hard for the for, you know for alberta saskatchewan and newfoundland with, with oil coming down but as a like a broad perspective on the national level we haven't had that before and you know for all the bankers out there like have they really gone through a real you know credit challenge yet obviously they you know the pandemic produced one but the government bailed them out so I, I, again i keep going back to when we do get this recession it's going to create a, a lot of uncomfortable experiences for a lot of people people in the in in the credit world for households you you name it like it's what? we're going down that path and no one's ready for it no one is is just ready for this it doesn't mean it has to happen but you know boy if it does it's it's gonna be a interesting loony hour week. so there's a good research One. note here from bemo um and they just dropped this a couple of days ago so it's showing sort of the renewal wall as we speak you know like obviously the pandemic was record home sales across the country, record low mortgage rates, you know, one, I think you could have got a five-year fix at, you know, 1.3 at one point, you know, there was insured mortgages through CMHC, HSBC had the 0.99% five-year fixed on an insured mortgage. So imagine people that are having to renew again, there's a lot that can happen between now and, and 2025, 2026, but um, that's kind of your big renewal wall. So Per BMO, um, this is what they've got. So based on on the big uh, the big six banks here, they've got uh, in 2023 they've got about 276 billion dollars of, of mortgages coming up for renewal. 276 billion. 2024 is 331 billion, and 2025 is the big one. 352 billion. 
So 2024 and 2025. Sorry, did you say of- 352 billion? $352 billion of mortgage renewals uh, of, of balance on uh, coming up for renewal in 2025. And then in 2026, it drops back down to 230. So three, 331, That's 352 in 2024 like- and 2025. So that like, it's like 15% of GDP. If I'm just doing my math really quickly at the top of my head. So if I get this wrong, um, but Canada's GDP is okay. So yeah, it's around twelve percent, maybe. Yeah, sorry, yeah. 12 percent. That's a lot, man. Holy crow! I had no calculator. <laughs> I just did it in my head. <laughs> well, you're yeah. you were born in 1962, so you guys used to do math. We only used calculator. Uh, cal- <laughs> yeah. But but one thing on the GDP and the recession thing, and I, and I think it's important to put this into context. I think and. Not to belabor this point, boys. Sorry, but like this is the where chart. the population. This it's is the chart. Population- You're going back to the chart again. I am going back to the chart. This is where population growth is so fascinating, and why it fights all of these. Like it's really, really tough to have a quote-unquote recession, which is two quarters of negative growth. Um, with some kind of employment loss when you just pack in everybody with a pulse into your country, right? Um, GDP uh, population growth rose to 3.14, whatever it is, year on year. I think we're going to crack 40 million people if we haven't done so already. already did. Yeah, sorry. You missed and the then, party, man. I missed the party, which is, stats, I mean, which is... Stats Can was <laughs> tweeting about it. It was hilarious. I mean, that's a cool thing for them to tweet about. If I, if I wrote, uh, you know, ran their social media, uh, I would do that. They've tweeted out other dumber things. So I'm happy that they did that. But my point is, is like, if you have just that much, you know, um, that much population growth, it's really, really tough to, you know, you uh, to get a recession. On the other hand, though, if Keith's, as Keith's point out, you know, things are synchronized, the global macro is synchronized, that maybe we might be in a situation where if there is a recession globally, that people feel much less confident coming to Canada despite the fact that, you know, we let in everybody or whatever it is. And so you might have a sub, sort of a double whammy of slower growth and slower population growth with with weak productivity growth. <laughs> oh, boy, that's not a great picture. I'm not trying to freak people out. I just think it's it's important sort of counterpoint that that pop growth is really important. Uh, so, Henry, you know, so, you know, who else is aware of this? <laughs> it, it's the central uh, bank. So so uh, at, yes, the, yeah, at the ECB, ECB. I'm going to call it a symposium because, you know, I'm an intellectual kind of guy these days. Um, So the head of the ECB said this, the head of the Bank of England said this, and the head of the Fed also said this. The the BOJ guy was was silent. (laughs) But what they said was that labor markets are very strong in their economies. And as long as the labor market remains very strong, that they're concerned that inflation will not come down. So therefore, they need to continue raising rates. So again, think about that. They're concerned about inflation remaining strong, sluggish, a lot higher than we want. And the reason it's strong is because of the employment markets. So therefore, Steve, the only way to get it down is to have job losses. Yeah. We got to fire the podcasters. You got you need, no. you need wait, we're getting paid. No, we're not. But you need no. but you need no, to, but if you get job losses, then you know you get the demand side will come down. So that's you know that again, like it's no secret. We are all aware of why there's no it's not why inflation was created, because it was created because of very poor policies during the pandemic. 
And now I was told it was, well, we'll get into that later. We'll get that. Okay. But now the solution to it, of course, you, you have to decrease or slow down aggregate demand. And that's a fancy way of saying job losses. So when you have, you know, the, the three or the four largest central banks in the world telling us that, then you know, Mike, the guys can do, you know, wonderful things. Of course, on the other side, fiscal policy around the world, especially here in Canada. So in Canada, we have the population growth, of course. I mean, that's just surging. But you're also getting so much fiscal stimulus coming at the same time. So what, what what's the uh, the deficit of the new budget? Was it 40 billion, 45? 40, something like that in the something 40s, like I think. Yeah. yeah, so I think back in 2012, 13, it was basically balanced and it was maybe like one or two billion under and everything. And now it's at that level. So it's, you know, you get one fiscal policy is offsetting monetary policy. And as long as that's going on, we know the fiscal policy will not sort itself out. You know, the balance is not going to, the budget will not balance itself. How dare you? How dare you? Uh, but so again, central banks are here and they, 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 you know, they, they want a recession guys. Well, and then like I said, you know, it kind of complicates the picture for the bank of Canada, <clears throat> some good updated numbers here from stats Canada. So Canada's population grew by 1.2, 1.2 million people in the past year, as of the second quarter, um, again, unbelievable immigration numbers, um, you know, it's, yeah, it's mind blowing. You look at, uh, you know, Alberta, I think was t top of the charts there. Um, they're on track for the fastest population growth since 1914. So they're growing around four and a half, four point 4.7% right now, uh, in Alberta. Yeah, so I have a little wrinkle to this. So, you know, the Canadian business survey, which is from the Canadian Federation of independent businesses, they have, they release a survey. Uh, every month. It's a monthly barometer. You're welcome to check on the website. It's pretty cool. Actually, it's got loads of great stuff. Um, they talk about uh, what factors are limiting, um, you know, production, what factors are, are like, are inputs more expensive or less expensive? Is it, is there too much red tape? Is there not enough red tape? Uh, is there, is taxes too high, too low? Blah, blah, blah. And one of the questions um, that they ask is the shortage, uh, like, uh, what are the factors limiting sales or production? And of course, you can answer different ways. Uh, there's different stuff. So limited space, shortage of working capital, insufficient demand, blah, blah, blah. And the two items that continuously rank the highest and remains there basically are skilled labor and unskilled or semi-skilled labor. So despite all of this immigration, it doesn't seem to be plugging in the skills gap, which I find kind of fascinating. So I need to do more investigation into that specific thing. But so far, that, whereas, for example, um, the shortages of inputs, which is related to uh, supply chain stuff, that has collapsed, right? So at the at the peak, it was, you know, 30% of com companies were complaining about this, and now it's only 10%. So just to give you an idea, sort of over the range. So there is, um, uh, funny enough, there's actually, a, there was a new, as if, you know, 1.2 million people wasn't enough. Uh, there was actually a new announcement from the uh, immigration minister in Canada, uh, where they announced that it's going to be easier, our new immigration pathways basically coming to Canada. So for tech workers coming to Canada, uh, they can they can come to Canada as, uh, with no job offer needed. Digital nomads uh, on a visa can work remotely from Canada for up to six months, and then it says U.S. H H one B visa holders and their families can work in Canada, no job offer required. So they're basically trying to recruit uh, more, you know, U.S. 
tech workers of then and things of that nature. So again, I mean, it seems like immigration, they're trying to make it even easier. I mean, in abstract, that's a good thing, but we know, well, what have we talked about on this podcast many, many times? One, there's not enough housing. Two, um, you know, it's it's like unclear that people necessarily feel comfortable in starting new businesses. We've talked about this a lot. Self-employment, the numbers of self-employment in absolute terms have not changed in 10 years. So this is not exactly where people come to, you know, be entrepreneurs, et cetera. Um, and there's a lots of blockages from the oligopolies who, you know, work to stifle these people who come here. So it, like the productivity story is very, very poor. And it's, and although Rich. I think, you know, in, in abstract HB ones or whatever are good, but we'll see on the housing front quickly. And we'll wrap this up on the, on the housing stuff. But, um, so just again, if you're a developer, like, you know, we've talked about a new housing start have fallen to the lowest levels, uh, since the, basically the depths of the pandemic in December of 2020, um, because residential construction costs in Canada have soared 51% since the start yeah. of the pandemic. So construction costs up 51%, uh, development lending costs, financing costs to, to finance these projects up 250% over the past 16 months. Um, and so these projects are, they're, they're no longer feasible, plain and simple. And then you say, well, what is the outlook for housing in the very short to near term over the next six to 12 months? Well, as a developer, I'd say it is a pretty murky situation, right? Mortgage rates are back up to basically 6%. Um, you know, the central bankers are telling you that we still need to slow the economy, we still need to get more rate hikes in. And so, um, you know, these projects are getting shelved. And so these all these supply target things are just pure fantasy. So Rich, rent to, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, sorry. you know, you, you, I think you made a really good observation on you know, the lack of investment here in Canada, what was taking place. Uh, you know, you and Steve are controlling the country here now. How do we, how do you reverse that? How do you encourage not only domestic capital, but foreign capital to come in and invest, to be innovative, to start private businesses not rely on the government and stuff like that because that's what we need in canada taxes we need to attract that so there's one way that i it's not my idea and i can't remember whose idea it was but it was to do with the fact that when you're starting let's say a tech company that you get no sort of coverage from ipos or and that kind of stuff so let's say you start a company let's say you know it's you know richard co and you're a You've 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 brought in all these HB one and visa whatever, and then you come up with this newfangled mouse trap. Let's say in, I don't know new social media app, whatever it is, and then you go to um, let's say you then you want to you your company is a success. I mean these are you know these are unicorns, what have you, and then you want to IPO. That whole process of I, I've understood is very very difficult, and there are nowhere near the same sort of tax incentives or tax shelters um, that you might have in the U.S. And so, and so that's who we're really competing, right? So if you're an English language developer and you have this great idea and you want to come and live in Nova Scotia to develop this thing, and you invite a bunch of really brilliant, hardworking people from ITT, which is a brilliant school in India, and they want to come and work there and they create this beautiful app. It's very, very hard to sort of extract amount, a huge amount of value and you sort of get, and when you have, again, an, a, com a competing um, interest just like you know down on the other side of the border and so that's one of the one of the again that's not i can't remember who told me that that, that and, and if i've screwed that up i apologize to that person but that was one of the big interesting incentives with respect to starting new businesses and in general just 
there's a lot. Um, and the other, another way I would say, which is very obvious, is unlocking the natural resources that we have in this country. We have all of the rare earth metals that we need to provide all of the um, industrial. Uh, um, um, we have all the rare earth metals that we need in this country to do all the green technology that everybody's obsessed about, but we don't process any of it here. That's an, that's a problem. The other thing is refining. So refining capacity in Canada is the same as it was in 1990. We refine 1.6 million barrels of oil a year. Refining is extremely technologically difficult. It takes a lot of PhDs and master's degrees in engineering and chemical engineering to exploit that. Why can't we do that here? Why are we shipping our crude oil to the United States and then getting back the refined product, we could refine loads and loads of products here and and export them. So there's like, uh, to me, natural resources, number one, and then appropriate incentives on IPOing and tech stuff is the other one. I don't know, Steve, if you have a... a no, you're way second. smarter than I. So I, well, I don't no, have a lot I'm, to... I stole that one off somebody else. <laughs> I have a simpler view. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I love what you mean. You, like, you're, you're more bottom-up and very specific and... Uh... I mean, I, I think the it's easy for me to say this, but it's incredibly difficult for it to happen. Um, you know, in, in general, if, if you want, again, I'm back to my innovation story. You have to let the private sector innovate. Let them be free to do so. So it's it's less government, you know, lower spending, lower taxes in, in overall. And if you create that free environment, then the innovation will happen. Capital will follow it. Workers will follow building and, and, and stuff like that. Because, I mean, if you think about it now, I mean, I know you mentioned uh, frequently that the percentage of our economy here in Canada, you know, coming from the pop public sector, I think it's second behind the French right now, right? That, that's it's high. It. Yeah, it's extraordinarily high. And so, so countries that have a lower number with, with that, I mean, that's, that's why the U.S. is so good for, uh, you know, for the private sector. You know, it, it's a great place to put your money in because you can create something really cool and then, you know, it'll just take off on its own. But the more that government is involved in everything, then the less opportunity there is for the private sector to be involved in anything. That's a nice quote, isn't it? That makes sense. Yeah, but... <laughs> well, <clears throat> I mean... You and I clearly share the same ideology. Uh, I'm a little but... less. I'm a little less hawkish that way. I think that that to me, the natural resource game. Canadians are are trying desperately to convince themselves that they're not a natural resource dependent economy, and I think that that's uh, that's wrong. crazy. Why are they saying I mean, that? I don't. Well, I, don't I know really, why, I, of course, but it's just you strip out natural resources and then you know you kill housing oh, what, what what's left but what i mean is like people think of natural resources as like a dirty sort of unintelligent like you know knuckle dragging occupation and that's just not true rare earth metal the processing of which is highly technical the refining oil is a highly highly technical trade you can't just roll up there after some you know silly degree these are very smart very committed scientists who and engineers that's how you have, you know, like when people joke about Texas being backwards and whatever, and in many ways, yes, it is. It's also one of the high, most highly educated states in America, right? So it's just, we need to kind of recalibrate our, our understanding of what natural resources really means with respect to technology. And, and that would be my view, but maybe we should, we should move on a bit. The three, the three C's, 
crude cannabis and condos. (laughs) Um, I'll think of three R's refined oil products, uh, something else. I don't know. Keith, what else do we got going on? Uh, you know, what, what's, loads, what's, got yeah. your, what's got your eye in markets other than uh, the BOJ guy? Well, uh, actually, uh, yeah, there was, um, there was a, a great paper came out this week from the Fed. And the date, uh, it just came out here in June. I don't see the exact date here. But the paper is entitled uh, End of an Error. The coming long one slowdown of corporate profit profit growth and stock returns. And so here's the, uh, the basically abstract what, what this guy writes. Um, and it's to give you an overlay on, on this, I mean, people who, who know me and you know, hear me you know, talking within my firm, I've been talking now for a while that you know, if you go back to the early 60s, long-term rates went from four or 5% up to almost 20% in 82. No one is around today that worked during that period. They're all gone, right? They're, they're not around. And then from 82 to 2010, rates went from 20 down to 0%, which is an amazing time to be alive, especially in the bond market. And then we had about 12 years where the you know, central banks, they suppressed rates. They would not let them rise again. So to use uh, you know, zero rates, negative rates, quantitative easing and all that. So now all of a sudden there's 40 years where rates have never gone up. No one has ever worked in the environment where they've gone up, and there's a lot of complacency, reliance upon policy to, to keep everything in line. Then, in our view, is spent. Hey, this is now this is like locked and loaded, and it's going to you know just coil and go higher. So, so the reason this paper caught my attention because this guy actually he's actually talking about it and writing about it, and he says uh, in this paper they show the decline in interest rates and corporate tax rates over the past three decades account for the majority of the period's exceptional stock market performance, okay? So 30 years of lower rates and lower taxes uh, contribute to a better stock market performance. Lower interest expenses and corporate tax rates mechanically explain over 40% of the growth in corporate profits from 89 to 2019, right? So 40% of profits has come from lower taxes and lower rates. Now we're in a period where do you think anyone's going to start lowering taxes? I mean, three of us would. We just we just said we would, correct? If we're running the country, but there's no country. If you look at Canada, do you think they're going to start cutting taxes? They can't do it because if they do it, the budget just immediately blows out. So they can't cut taxes. Uh, in which direction are rates going to go? I mean, they got to go higher, right? They can't go lower again, you know. Because don't think about the Bank of Canada rate. Think about longer term rates. And uh, so, what, what this guy he um, he concludes here um, in ritual like this, you know, with his with CFA uh, designation, <laughs> the decline in risk free rates alone accounts for all of the expansion in PE multiples. So the boost to profits and valuations from ever declining interest rates and ever declining corporate taxes is unlikely to continue indicating significantly lower profit growth in the future. Now, of course, that doesn't mean the stock market has to crash or anything, but it, it does imply that what's happened over the last 40 years, it, it's unlikely it's going to look like that again over the next cycle. So whether that's 40 years or 10 years, we, we don't know. It, it's going to be different. And when we start to experience this, this different experience, uh, people won't, they won't have a clue what's hitting them. 
And so again, like the sort of biggest risk to this is really with investors. So anyone listening, if you like, if you're a mom and dad are in this period where they're about to retire and all their savings is being plowed into these balanced funds and things like that, the probability of them experiencing a very quick decline in valuation, it's a lot higher than what you would expect. Like it's just set up perfectly and everything is now is, is hanging on a hinge and you go back to again what the central banker said yesterday this is from powell there is a significant probability we get a recession right it's the head of the fed you know saying that and he also said uh i'm gonna find it it was a really good quote oh there's still a, there's a high risk to still doing too little that's with regards to, to rate policy. So again, we go back, we're in, we're in this, this period, Steve, where the policymakers, they're screaming at you. They're saying, it's going to be different than what we've had in the past. So when it happens and you're not ready for it, I mean, I don't know who you're going to go crying to. The government, yeah. they're not going to be around to help you. No, I mean, I I think you've been uh, incredibly accurate. Uh, you know, you've been calling for a hawkish Fed that's just going to keep raising and raising and raising until they crush something. And I think you've been spot on. I think we've all been maybe a bit surprised about how resilient, you know, parts of the economy have been. I am curious to to kind of get your opinion on, you know, raising rates to these levels and we're going to keep raising them. And yeah, you know, central banks are telling us they're going to keep going. How much of this do you overlay on like the math of, let's say the U S government debt? Like what is, what are, you know, um, interest rates as a percentage of their overall debt servicing. So for the Americans that that's different because they have the world's reserve currency. Right. So because of that, there's an enormous appetite for treasuries. Everyone needs them in the pension funds, the banks need them and, and so forth. So it's just not the Americans that that needs it. It's everyone in the US dollar world. And if you travel around the world, you realize very quickly, oh, wow, yeah, it, it is a, a US dollar world with that. So, if, but in, in Canada, it would be a different experience. Same thing in Britain, you know, in places like that. Isn't the US government's interest expenses like the size of their, their defense spending alone now? Yeah, but wait a second. You have to you have to common size it. So as a share of as a share of GDP, it's three point five percent. So that seems like a lot, and it's up from the two point five percent of you know the twenty tens. But just to give you context, in nineteen eighty nine, it was five percent. So you say, well, and then for example, as a share of government revenue of government receipts, right now it's twenty percent, and in the eighties it was. I'm looking at the chart right now. It was thirty percent. Right. So, so I guess say, my well, Rich, question it's for you is if receipts, yeah. if government tax receipts sort of level off or fall because, you know, uh, hey, the stock market's not doing so great or real estate's down and there's no capital gains taxes coming in, which are obviously a huge component, thus tax receipts fall. Like I, I'm, I'm just playing yeah, devil's no, no, it's advocate a, it's, here. No, no, it's a, it's a really good counterpoint. And then, so I'm ready for that too. But the pro, the difference between the United States, let's say, and Canada is the United States in general is a lower taxed jurisdiction. Like the effective, ta- like Canada has one of the highest ha- effective tax rates for households in the OECD. The US is much, much lower. Um, you know, I mean, just, just to give you an example, there's like, you know, half a, I can think of rattle off half a dozen 
um, states in America that don't even charge state income tax for, you know what I mean? Let alone, you know what I mean? So in general, the capacity for the US to raise revenue is extremely, extremely high. They don't choose to because they never really had to, if that makes sense. And it's politically unpalatable. But it's not the same as, for example, Canada, where we're taxed a lot. Yeah, Keith. You're trying to I think I think what Rich is trying to say is is that guys the US it, it they are screwed longer term it, it absolutely is because it comes <laughs> I don't back agree to what with I think, at all I, I, I do I, I think they are uh, but they're the last ones in in line for it to happen to I think it was back to your point Steve you know you're you're I think you're trying to go to the question yeah the Americans are in trouble I'd say their their interest burden it, it increases exponentially and all that because of the numbers it it, it is tough but what Rich is saying I understand as well in that in environment, the whole world is experiencing stress and money will roll into US dollars because of the safety and liquidity and, and all that. Uh, to buy US dollars, you have to buy treasuries. That, that's just a, a function of, of that game. So there is certainly is a world where the US will experience a severe financial crisis, but they're the last ones to experience. Canadians are experiencing it before them. Same with the Brits, Europeans, Japan, and China, and, and so forth. And it's you know it it doesn't mean you know we go back to you know Rich likes to call it the dragon. Was it dragging your knuckles on the ground? Is that you call <laughs> knuckle it? draggers? <laughs> knuckle draggers. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. But I, I think the opportunity is there to have a, a pretty serious uh, changing on, on the way that you know, money, however you want to define it, is going to work around the world. Because the bottom line is there's too much debt. So whether it's government debt, household debt, corporate debt, not as much, but, you know, we just can't service it all. Like this week, the Brookings Institute came out with another great paper, and, and they calculated that from 08 to from 2008 to 2016, they're saying uh, China's GDP was at least 1.7% lower, Right. And people say, well, okay, what's what's the big deal with, with that? It, well, the big deal with that, it means that all of a sudden now, debt to GDP numbers are a lot higher because 1.7% yep. on, on a pretty big, fast-growing economy is incredible. We compound, yeah. Yeah, it, it absolutely does. So there, so when you see what's happening in China today, so the, you know, the currency is weakening every day. Like they're trying to hold it together. Uh, banks are struggling there. That's why they're making, uh, you know, they're lowering rates. You know, um, capital buffers for the banks is being relaxed as well. They're trying to do that at the same time, stop money from from flowing out. So it it is a a big challenge we have here. And, and you're right, Steve. It, it's just again, it, it's it's our view here at our firm that the, the dollar, you know, that the time to sell the dollar is when everyone is trying to buy it. You know, like that electronic money stuff the crypto stuff from a few years ago i'm being funny right but you know but when it hit a euphoria back in i think it was 22 i think it was no 21 uh, i would have been towards like the summer of 2021 i think yeah in, in 21 when you had that euphoria going on i suspect we'll have that same euphoria for us dollars and that's at the point when you say okay because what could because by that point, all the other currencies and bond markets are already experiencing stress and, and crisis. So then that's when you want to sell it. And then, you know, you got to manage to put it somewhere different. Um, sorry, can I just go back to your Fed paper? Do you mind? Because I just have something that I think will help people think about these. So you, you talked about how the lowering of taxes and lower of interest rates 
basically propped up corporate returns, corporate profits. And, you know, in my world as a strategist, we're often, often think of sort of, we think of like these dualities. And the reason I bring this up is because I think it's, you know, for a long time, what we basically had is capital. In my world, you have capital and often labor. And these are often intention, you know, you whether you have, you know, if you don't have enough, um, so if you lower taxes and you lower interest rates, capital tends to gobble up a lot of those excess returns. And in a world where taxes are not going to fall and interest rates are going to go high, higher, and a, and again, I remind people of a chart that I'm very proud of, and someone will definitely steal this one from me too, which is the age dependency ratio. So we have a situation where all of the rich people basically are boomers, and all of the young people are, and millennials and Generation X have a very, very small portion of, let's say, the quote-unquote wealth. And the 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 shift and what we're not right right in my view what we're about to experience is like sort of a recalibration of capital versus labor and that's why for example we're seeing wage growth come up and we're seeing supply shortages persistent supply shortages um and i think that part of the one of the reasons i in my view anyways is that corporations are going to have either smaller margins tougher lower expected returns lower profits is a situation where you do have the pendulum swing back from corporates and capital to labor um and and you know and and earn wage earners um i i think i can already started to see that happening but the the paper that you sort of outlined keith i think is is sort of the, the roadmap i think of how we get there sorry so the the author of that is michael smolyansky it's from june of 2023 so it just came out what you just described though rich is, is a classic you think about a long-term like 40-year pendulum swinging but that's why you know, I thought it was relevant. We've gone from yeah. capitalism into, into socialism. You know, that that's why we're. Yeah, I mean, I, would, I wouldn't. Like, I hey. wouldn't couch it like that. I think that there are market forces that 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 my view are. I wouldn't. I wouldn't couch it like that. I think that the part of the reason why it's it's the the younger people will be have sort of have power is just there aren't enough of us. They're like the age dependency ratio is. You know, we've talked about sort of a percentage of working population as a as a percentage to, to, to the whole, right? And that, num that number peaked in 1960s and, and it troughed in 2010, and now it's starting to rise. What that means is there's fewer employees. And, and again, it's important to remember that all of the cash, not to, not to get the pitchforks ready, but all the cash is stuck with these, the generations that are either baby boomers or the silent generation. And so they have all the assets and we have all the labor. And what that means is that the price of labor is gonna go higher. So that to me, I think it's a market forces that are driving that. It's fair to say that there are definitely some socialistic forces also driving that. Or so I don't want to. You know, so when they say you you'll own nothing and you'll be happy, I just I disagree. I, I think it means that if you don't own it, somebody else will own it. I, I know. What about that. the robots? The robots are going to replace us all. Well, yeah. so that's a really, really interesting question, and we should definitely keep that in the back of our mind as we go forward. This idea that will automation sort of help or hurt labor as there's like a recal as a as a fight basically for that pie. I don't know, Steve. And then we can one. all be on universal basic income, no, spending please. spending our CBDCs, eating our well, bugs. One one more you just mentioned pie that caught my attention. This is the last point that caught my attention here. Um, so I don't know if you're following what's happening in New York City these days with, with the pizza. Oh, the yeah. pizza pies. Yeah, so the city just announced uh, it's a new law putting it. It's effectively it's on pizza shops. They're not allowed to use coal-fired ovens anymore. It was ridiculous. And if, if they are using them, they need to put some kind of muffler on on, on the uh, on, on the, the chimney for it. 
So this, if you know, I'm a big pizza Are, guy. I love it. Capture your pizza fumes. It's just so stupid. Yeah, it, it's unbelievable. Um, but if you ever people who've been to New York for pizza, I mean, you know, like Lombardi's is like the famous old school New York pizza. Um, and that then they had a, a typical Italian restaurant family. The the boys had a fight years ago. So one brother stayed at Lombardi's and the other one went down on Bleecker Street down the village and started John's Pizzeria. And um, they're, they're both outstanding. But like these old shops. And then there's another one um Brooklyn. I think it's Grimaldi's, it's called. I love and, that you know uh, all this. <laughs> yeah, you can do pizza tours in New York and it, it's outstanding. You're like but, the original uh, Dave Portnoy. <laughs> well, I love I've, his uh, pizza videos. Me too. Does. His pizza They're reviews fun. are great. There's there's a similar story, Keith. That you'll. I mean, I'm not a pizza guy, more of a bagel guy. And years ago, there's two bagel shops called Saint Pieter and Fairmont in Montreal, which are the greatest bagels in the history of everything holy. And um, they use wood fired ovens, and they run them 24 hours a day. And that's the best way that you make a bagel. None of this, uh, you know, shitty love law stuff. Anyways, and they, and in their infinite no fun wisdom, Rich the... Loblaws is our sponsor this week. By oh, the way. sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I love Loblaws. Anyway, my point is, is that the mayor tried to kibosh these wood fired ovens, and it's just so, like, it's just so stupid, right? And thank God the people fought back. The power to the people. We rose up and they've grandfathered them in. So we still have beautiful bagels in Montreal. And Keith. there you go. Keith, you're really passionate with your pizza. You make pizza for all those don't follow you on Twitter. You you fire up the pizza like a homemade pizza every Friday, don't you? And I don't want to talk yeah, about if, like, Yeah, Alessio actually earlier pizza. this morning, uh, yesterday uh, on Wednesdays I'll do my starter, and then Thursday mornings I'll make the dough for Friday night. So um, yeah, you make the you make the dough right after you record the loony hour or what? No, I made dough earlier this morning. So this this is Thursday, everyone. So I made the dough on <laughs> Thursday morning. So now, but, uh, yeah, we've been doing it for uh, for a long time, Steve. It's uh it's something we've been doing like you know here as a family and my kids since they were like super young. They know it's they know what Friday is. It's kind of funny sometimes. The uh, depends on which oven we're using, but one of the like the regular oven, it um the the, the smoke detector is very sensitive to any kind of heat change. And as soon as we open it, no matter what we're cooking, it, it could be anything, but the, the this alarm goes off. And uh, so our kids always they always joke, "What's that noise?" And the, our kids always say, "Oh, that means the pizza's ready." You know, <laughs> what uh, what's your oven powered by? I need to know. Coal. It's yeah, yeah. I think like sixty percent coals. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Nova Scotia 20, is sixty percent coal. Twenty percent oil, and then twenty percent. I have another environmental story, if I may, which is uh, something we've we've been really, really quickly, something we've talked a lot, nuclear power. Anyone who knows me knows I'm obsessed with nuclear power, Um, probably because I just love watching The Simpsons. But anyways, so in the Swedish parliament passed a new energy target. So they're moving away from 100 percent renewable energy and easing their way for uh, to easing the way for new nuclear, new nuclear power. Sorry, that was a mouthful. And um, just to give people perspective, like in the so in nineteen nine in the nineteen nineties, uh, nuclear power is fifty percent of Sweden's um, electricity, uh, energy. Sorry, energy for electricity, and now it fell down to to thirty percent. So that now it's in the thirties. And a similar thing is sort of happening, but we'll see. Um, so in Spain's uh, there's a general election in Spain coming up. I can't remember exactly when, but basically, surprisingly, the fault line is the. Um, 
can't remember if it's the conservatives or whatever. doesn't matter. One party basically wants to do a total U-turn on nuclear power as far as their phase out, and they're leading the polls. So hopefully uh, they'll win. And the other party you know, wants to crawl back to, into a cave and, uh, and and forget about technologies. But it's amazing. And again, in, in, in just to just they want to wanna, some they wanna drag their knuckles, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, they hate technology. And um, and just to, just again, to give you some context, in 1990, Spain had 35% of Spain's electricity came from n- nuclear energy. And now it's down to 20. So there you go. Uh, but, uh, you know, the best part of the show is I think I know Keith's entire Thursday routine. <laughs> get up in the morning, make the pizza dough, go get a coffee, lemon loaf at the local university, and then record the Looney Hour. That's like your whole Thursday. It, it's an awesome day. You're it's, living it's a, good, a lot of fun. You're living a good life. Mm-hmm. You know, you've made it when, eh? That's right. Well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Um, you know, to all our listeners, happy Canada Day. Uh, we we greatly, greatly appreciate your support. Uh, go out there, go celebrate. And um, yeah, like I said, the the tickets to the live event in Vancouver, we'd love to see everybody. July 27th, it's going to be from 6, 6 p.m. Doors open and, you know, come drink appetizers. I think we're going to do the podcast from like 7.15-ish to 8.30 at night. And then again, more more sort of open bar towards the end afterwards as well, you know, shutting down around 9.30 or so. Um, so tickets will be, there'll be a link in the show notes where you can check out our Eventbrite uh, page and uh, tickets are available. I think it's 49 bucks ahead. And uh, the first drink ticket is included and uh, appetizers are taken care of as well. So love to see you all. Happy Canada. Thanks for your support. And we'll see you soon.